Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Steve Young. He's the Chief Solutionite of Body Solutions and the Consciousness Tinkerer and the Chief Love Officer of Amortal. So we're going to talk about his work. So Steve, thanks for coming. Oh. Super excited to be here and to be able to just chat about all things for benefit of humanity. Yeah, what, so is there an umbrella uh, brand that you do everything under called Immortal? Or like, you know, how would you describe your current work and what you do? Yeah, few companies and the main one, or really the, the way to phrase it is the one that we're using to impact humanity is Immortal. Uh, it's the one that where through some of the experiences and data I've collected from uh, the other companies and from, you know, treating 9,000 humans in the last 20 years, we started to see patterns that we could put together to basically give humanity their mental and physical sovereignty back to them. And so that's the main focus of Immortal. What kind of, uh, so you treated 9,000 people, like what, what was the condition that you treated them for and what was the treatment like? Yeah, so the official umbrella under physical therapy, because I have a master's and doctorate in physical therapy. Um, however, when they came for, you know, let's say their knee pain, we would approach them from framework that I use, which essentially is, uh, imagine those, you know, those Russian nesting dolls where the, like the outer doll contains their, you know, smaller dolls. So we would use this framework. And the reason we use this framework is because the intention is to actually get to the root, root cause of their symptoms and to also reveal what's blocking their system from actually being able to heal itself. Right? Those are the two paradigms 
that we were really wanting to affect because traditional Western medicine really doesn't look at those two things at all. And so we would use this framework where the outer doll would be, some people call it spirit, some people call it source, some people call it universe, some people call it God. And then one doll in from that would be vibration or energy, also known as our thoughts and emotions. And then one doll in from that would be our environment. It actually very largely impacts our mental and physical well-being. One doll in from that would be our habits, repeated actions. And then the smallest doll is the, the, the physical or biological self. And so interestingly, when people came for their, their pain, if I were to only operate within the traditional medical way, it would be happening in that smallest doll, the least impactful way. But we, we expanded beyond that and impacted all layers of those uh, nests. But I don't, I don't understand. What, what did you do with people? And what does that mean? Sure. You've identified these different facets of their life, but what did you do? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you one case example. Uh, this woman came actually with hip pain. And, you know, as I'm treating her and working on her muscles, the, the beauty of physical therapy is, you know, we're, we're in front of the patients for a long time, right? So there's a lot of moments to be able to interact. And so, you know, just kind of asking her, hey, how's your, how's your overall health? And she had said, oh, about five months ago when this hip pain started, I also got diabetes, high blood pressure at the same time. And so and given my experience of what I do and a little bit of sensing into people, also known as intuition, I asked her, hey, what happened six months before those diagnoses? She basically immediately started to cry. And she said her husband died. And to make a long story short, through just conversation, she was able to reframe the tremendous loss and grief that she was feeling uh, from her husband dying into something else that was serving her like a different emotion, different way of seeing things. And then within a few weeks, her conditions went away. And so essentially what was happening was we were essentially affecting her at the sort of energetic, some could even say spiritual, you know, the outer layer, which again, governs all the layers on the inside, right? All the different nesting dolls on the inside. And so, yeah, so that's, you know, one, one case example, thousands of these, but that was a, a very simple one. Well, what, do you guys lead with physical therapy or what's, what gets people to come to you in the first place? Yeah. What's your clinic say that it does? Yeah. Yeah. Physical therapy. And I, I no longer had to practice. I exited because I knew that uh, this year, because I knew going forward, the practice, the, the physical location is not going to reach, you know, a billion people. And so, you know, and I collected enough data for the last 20 years from the 9,000 patients to be able to feel very comfortable, with, you know, not doing that anymore and just moving on and focusing on a mortal and some of the other stuff. But yes, they, they came in the, the shingle, right? The, the sign on the building said physical therapy, even though we did a lot more than and just that, you know, we had other practitioners as well with other specialties. So the clinic is closed or has it been sold to someone else and does it continue? Actually, it's closed. I, I woke up one day and it was this deep knowing that this, you can't take too long to exit. Like you're, you're needed somewhere else. And literally within two weeks, I started traveling nonstop for, I mean, I've been home maybe three weeks out of the last six months, just being called to these different locations and meeting with people. It could be world leaders. It could be people who invented technologies that will change entire sectors of industry. Yeah, yeah. So just a little bit of, you know, divine guidance, intuition, whatever you want to call it, said exit right away and, and just trust that it will unfold how it wants to unfold. So that was the process. What's your new mission now? What are you going to be doing? Yeah, so still, you know, working on Immortal, uh, which is, you know, we have, 
actually, I'll, I'll back up. So the context is, it's less about treating people or teaching people, because that's very transactional. And it's also very, in a way, ego driven, right? Like, I want to do this, and it feels good for me, and even though I'm helping people. And so going forward, I believe in humanity, we want to step away from transactional experiences, because transaction, typically, there's like a, a, a winner and a loser, even though some people say win win, something gets sacrificed in a transaction, right? Energy is just moving in a one direction. And we're moving more towards a fractal or a imagine like going from a laser to a light bulb. Right? It's another simpler, you know, visual way. And so everything that I'm doing now is about creating containers, right? A room that when someone gets into the room, the room allows the person to self-explore and play to get their mental and physical sovereignty back. And so we have an app that's like a Think of that as a virtual room, created a chamber that you get in that's an actual physical room that restores your, your mind and body. We created a workstation, yet another physical sort of container to get in uh, that makes you more healthy while you work on the computer, right? Because it makes no sense that the current desk, standing desk, chair is so unhealthy. They're like, hey, get away from it every 35, 45 minutes. We just completely reconceptualize that space so you become more healthy while you're, you know, on your Zoom calls, on your computer. I also create containers where these are experiences that people come to. And within a few days, we facilitate the experience so that they are quickly uh, transformed mentally and physically for the better. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, tell me about the uh, the new arrangement for people working. So is, is it a stand desk? Is it a sit? Is it a combination? Like, what have you come up with? Yeah, so first I started with, just think, uh, the desk and chair has been the same desk and chair for thousands of years. Right. We've just improved the chair to have cushions, maybe armrests, some adjustable lumbar support, but it's still a chair. And same thing with the desk, right? The same thing. And so I started with the frame of if I was an alien, I've never been to earth. I've never seen anything, but I intercepted a file about human anatomy, right? So I understand how humans function from a joint physics perspective. What would I design for a human? So it took that way of thinking to completely reconceptualize something. And essentially the thing we developed at first was a, a complete system that is like picture like a standing desk with something that pairs with the standing desk that allows for two main things to happen. One is movement, right? Because when we sit still or stand still, um, our bodies are not meant to be in stillness for a long time because your joints basically starve to death. Your joints um, gets its nutrition from rhythmic light movement. And so when you don't move, Basically, there's no nutrition happening in your joints at all. The other detriment with being on a computer is slouching, right? So our, our environmental cues, the way the desk and chair is designed, and even a standing desk still cues you to kind of, you know, slouch. And so we basically designed something that 
pairs of the standing desk. Imagine it's almost like a, a thing that's behind you that you lean on if you're tired that allows for uh, perfect posture and like you physically cannot slouch in this thing. And there are armrests. That's another thing with a standing desk is that without the armrest, all the pressure you're trying to take off of your back goes to your neck. And then the platform you're standing on promotes rhythmic movement. Uh, not too much because there's studies showing, for example, people who are using like a treadmill desk, 12% of your consciousness is being used to not fall off the treadmill. That means only 80 8% of your consciousness can be used to focus on your work. Huh. So we did, yeah, very interesting. Something that people don't know. Well, actually, and, quick question here. Has anyone yeah. figured out even sitting in a chair and being uncomfortable, how much of that does, does it take from your consciousness? It might take a lot more. A lot more. We do have all kinds of data on that, of course, um, in terms of... Oh, what, what can you share? Uh, yeah. So roughly, just give you some staggering numbers, chronic pain from just neck and back costs America roughly $30 billion a year. That comes from uh, loss in productivity. And of course, comes from the medical treatments that are, you know, of course, being used to treat this. And in terms of loss in productivity, additional numbers, 80% um, of Americans within their lifetime experience some type of chronic pain in their neck or their back. And chronic just means it lasts for more than six weeks. If we drill down deeper into that data, the productivity in companies that's anticipated, and there's there's a wide range of these numbers depending on which study that you look at, that's loss um, on average is around twenty percent. These are some staggering numbers if you if you think about the twenty percent average loss in productivity over the lifetime of that worker from basically inactivity, from discomfort, from sitting there for a long period of time that costs billions and billions and billions of dollars for America. So yeah, those are some pretty staggering numbers. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So what, what's the cognitive load of the system that you've developed in comparison to 20% or this 12% from a treadmill desk? What's yours look like? Yeah. So luckily there are studies showing that if you just, we don't need big movement, right? The other concept people think is, for big change to happen, we need to do big actions. That is a, a fallacy in logic. Typically, big change happens from tiny things being done consistently. And this shows up in so many areas of life we can go into, but that's the framework. And so the movement that we provide um, at the bottom, we're talking years of moving an inch or two. But that inch or two is still movement for your joints, and that's enough to give it circulation. And because you're only moving an inch or two, your mind doesn't like you can't fall off of it, right? It's the movement is so subtle that your brain doesn't need attention. Like, you know, if, if, if we were, you know, standing on a soft surface, let's say you're not constantly thinking about, am I going to fall off? You're, there's an autopilot mechanism to this where the subtle movements are being managed without needing a lot of focus. So we designed the, the system to sort of meet those criteria where it's subtle movements without these large things where, you know, your leg is swinging through and you only have a narrow space to walk. So what's been your experience or, you know, if you have data, what's been the experience of people using your way of working? You know, again, I, I can't see it, but, uh, you know, there's more efficient way of working. What's been noticed by you or other people? Yeah, we're, we're just in the launching phase of this. However, the bottom part, the rocking sort of standing with slight moving mechanism, that aspect has been around for a long time. 
And there's tons of data on how that supports not only productivity, but you know, less, less discomfort for the human body. And they're out there. I mean, we don't personally have numbers because we haven't done a full launch yet. Just, you know, select people have it in prototyping. So I can't give you like, hey, based on our product, we've seen these numbers. But definitely the bottom mechanism is the one that's more common. The thing that we invented that prevents vouching and stuff, that's a, a whole brand new mechanism, brand new furniture, I guess I can call it furniture. So, okay, what's your goal for this? Is that, you know, companies will use this new method of working at their desks and that'll yeah. increase productivity? Like what's the theoretical improvement you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the even if it was just the bottom mechanism, there's already data showing that it improves productivity. That's the no-brainer. You know, we don't need any testing or additional data because the, again, the bottom part is very similar to some things that's already been invented. Essentially to answer your question, really what's essentially what's the audience for this? Yep. There's a B2B play where we go to companies and we can say, look, your entire workstation can be revamped and we would position almost like a, a wellness, you know, package, right? Because the, the app that we're developing will help support the person's behavior change. And then the workstation is the physical environment change. And together, it's a pretty powerful combination, basically keep the workforce healthy. So their insurance premiums are way less, and there's a lot of financial benefits beyond productivity. However, with COVID and everything happening, companies are starting to realize that not everyone needs to go to the office to work, right? Virtual spaces and virtual reality and augmented reality is coming. And so what I see in the future is the desk no longer is needed. Right, because we're just going to have the screen within our AR glasses, so we don't need this heavy screen in front of us. So the desk part of the workstation goes away. However, the person still needs to work, and so and they need to move their bodies. And so the part that we've invented actually is the becomes the more important part, where it keeps them posture upright and promotes movement while they're working and standing there with their AR glasses and just talking to their computer or, you know, simple hand gestures. Uh, without the keyboard is controlling the, we'll call it the, the the screen and the virtual mouse in a way that absolutely is coming. Right? And that's going to come a lot faster than people realize because the, the technology for those things are becoming uh, much less. So the vision really is in people's homes, because a lot of things will be interconnected and virtual. They will have this sort of workstation to support their their physical bodies to be in a um, ideal position. Uh, how long do you think it'll be till people work using all this, uh, you know, AR, VR type stuff? Um, it's already being done now. I'm not sure if you know, for example, the world's fastest growing real estate company does not have any offices. Their employees log on through VR and go into a virtual campus to work. Technically, it's, it's already happened, just not being talked about because that does not sell fear. I think it'll be what I would consider mass adoption in three years. I mean, it's already here. Uh, many companies are already using this this type of technology. Well, I guess one company is using it, but I mean, are you seeing a, a number of Silicon Valley companies using it? I mean, how is this going to, where is this going to go to first? What kind of industries and will it percolate down to coffee shops or basic level type services? Or do you think it's going to stay just on the tech field? I think to give you and the listeners context, the world, and I'll be conservative, the world 10 years from now won't really even be recognizable to us. There's an interesting article written about this, you know, maybe three years ago. And just to give you context, the question is, how far back do we need to time travel, right, for that person to be mind blown with today's technology, right? And so the, the article proposed, you know, if we go back 50 years to now, things are very advanced, but 
the person from you know 50 years ago be like yeah this is still believable i mean credible but if we go back 400 years ago or even a thousand years ago and we you know time travel that person to now they'd be mind blown they'd be like i you must be aliens what do you mean you have this device you hold in your hand you can talk to other people and so if we went back from a thousand years ago uh, and we consider that baseline how far back do you have to go to mind blow that person well in this article it said twenty thousand, right because even from a thousand years ago if you go back another thousand years again the the exponential increase in technology isn't mind-blowing but if you go back twenty thousand years you know teleport that person to a thousand years ago given current current framework of history 20,000 years ago, I'll preface it with that, excluding potential Atlantean technology, that person would be mind blown. And so what this article says is by 1934, which is not that far away, every year technology goes so fast that every year our mind is blown. It's also predicted that around that time, AI will invent more in one year than all of human history combined every year. And so just want to kind of give people a context of that reality. And, you know, and Ray Kurzweil, who is a futurist who kind of also corroborated with these predictions. Uh, when they've tracked his predictions in the last 40 years, he's 83% correct. So I can say with 83% probability, what was just proposed is reality. And so we're heading towards a time that the masses can't conceptualize just how fast things will change. Just want to give that context. And so if we just look at the price of AR glasses, um, just in the last two years, they've come down 500% right, in the last two years. And keep in mind, technology is exponential. So right now you can get AR glasses for 300 bucks. I guarantee you in three years when they're like $50, right? Or they'll go with like the printer model. If you notice printers are dirt cheap. It's like you can get a printer for like $50, but you're, you're paying for the ink. I believe in the future the AR glasses could be just free because you're paying through your attention through the AR glasses because of the ads, right? Just like Facebook is free because you know, you're, we're being monetized for our attention. And so humans will be that much more harvested for our attention to profit the big corporation, which would make the wearables and all that stuff much less because they're earning their money through indirect way. So do you want to be positioned more in this uh, like ergonomic space or where, where are you trying to position yourself with your companies? Yeah, so the whole framework is different, right? And so the language is going to be different. The old paradigm would be, you know, where can you have your competitive edge and how do you position your company to have that greatest return on investment and profitability and all that stuff? That is the old paradigm that led to the world that we live in now. So the company that we have, along with some other companies that we know friends have started or have you know invested in is a different paradigm, which is there's no such thing as competition. We're at a phase in humanity, unless we all collaborate and harmonize, humans won't do well in the next coming years. And so we're, to answer your question, we are attracting, first we're broadcasting a certain frequency, a certain way to be that is very different than what is currently being broadcasted, right? And then therefore we are also magnetizing other influencers, world leaders, and companies who share this same mindset, also known as same vibration, to all collaborate to create a very different future for humanity, right? Now the side effect of this, obviously the business um, needs finances to fund this, but the main intention is that and less about where's the strategic positioning to help 
maximize profits and, and all that. So it's, it's a very different paradigm that is necessary in the next 10 to 12 years. Well, very good. Steve, what's the best way for people to find out more about your companies and you know where you're headed? Where can they keep tabs? The best place would be maybe through my personal blog site, um, which is just drsteveyoung.com. I do have um, some content there for people that I've made free since, you know, since COVID. One of them, for example, is a course on how do we become much more mindful of our language because our language at a tactical level influences our reality and how we feel on a regular basis. So I have an entire course that I made to give people awareness of the language so they can start to realize that the, the mass media, the typical way people um, speak is actually designed to enslave the person and to create more illness. So that'd be a great place to start. Well, very good. Steve, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.